Hello. Today's episode, we are going to talk about a Netflix docuseries. I want to talk about it because I found it, hmm, I found it a little bit alarming that um, there was, well, first and foremost, that it's on Netflix and that it was so one-sided. And then I also saw that there were like state representatives that were interviewed in this. Um, They were talking a lot of nonsense about a few things. And really, the whole thing was really trying to get you one step further to veganism. And I do want to say, I have absolutely no problem with veganism. As long as you understand that with veganism comes a lot more self-advocacy than an omnivore diet, okay? So I'm talking about the Netflix docuseries called Do I What You Eat Twin Study, okay? This is a study that was made um, and conducted by a Stanford University professor, um, and he has a PhD in nutrition science. Um, And, well, obviously, uh, we all know that that's going to interest me truly, right? Especially the fact that they, um, the way that they performed this study, okay? So if you haven't watched it, I'm going to tell you a little bit how it, how and what the study was about. So the study uh, was about uh, 22 uh, twin pairs, so 44 people, okay? And this is the whole thing is that it was twins. So we really got a chance to look at the genetic side of intaking a vegan versus an omnivore diet so this is great this is actually it it appears in in portrayed as a really great research right and so what happens is with those with the pair with the 22 pair pairs of twins what happened is that the first eight so it was uh it was eight week um timeline okay and what happened is for the first four weeks they were given diets so at random so you had uh pairs of twins and at random they would be they were chosen if they were eating the vegan diet or the omnivore diet and both both would get a set of food so you're really giving this like and like they they wanted to compare a healthy vegan to a healthy omnivore diet which is again that's ideally what we want to see when we are doing and conducting a research okay and then at the end they they measured a few things um and i do want to say that i just absolutely love that they did not measure the bmi because bmi just it just irks me just irks me so bad when um at the doctors they measure BMI like some like I was in gymnastics and I had so much muscle weight that I was considered overweight but I had 12% body fat like that's why BMI is just not ideal like we we're done we're done with that like BMI is not an ideal uh, way to measure if we are quote-unquote healthy or unhealthy so I like that they um they use a machine it's called the dexam dexamet dexamet 
and it was it really uh, helped them see how their fat is distributed into their body and their muscles so this is what we're looking for right because even the number on the scale doesn't tell us too much to be very honest right so i really did like that i do like that the um they did do like a healthy omnivore with a with a healthy vegan right because you can be vegan but eat like junk food 24 7 right so again the research is portrayed to be great but as i as as the docuseries continued I just, I wish my husband would have, would have taped me. I got off the couch, like, in that, like, you know, like, when men watch, like, a football game, or, like, they watch, like, a soccer game, and they get, like, all hyped, and they're yelling at the TV? Okay, that was me watching this docuseries, because there were so many red flags for me, being a professional, and especially in the chronic illness world, that this is just not okay to say, right? And yeah, the American standard diet is not, you know, the healthiest. And yeah, the standard American person is not the healthiest, right? We all know this, right? But there was just some things that were just some red flags. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to finish this thing. And then the following day, I'm going to research the heck out of this. So I composed this episode based on I watched the entire series and then I literally made a research out of it and in the show notes and I'm gonna I'm gonna remind you in the show notes multiple times during this episode I have the links that what I'm talking about I have the links to really prove what I'm saying about the professor about the people in it about the research all that stuff so I want you guys to understand this is a research about a research okay because like I said, in order to really understand what's going on and why me as a professional, why am I so worked up about something like this, we first need to understand about the research itself, okay? Okay, um, so first and foremost, I want to say that as we are now understanding that this is highly, highly one-sided, so this this is very the 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 portrayed and i say portrayed i don't i i'm not using that word lightly because it was portrayed as a really great research okay but the information as well was very much putting animal meat in animal products as like the worst thing that you could possibly do for you and the world and this is a big scare tactic. And again, I've said this, I've, I've already said this once and I'm going to say it again. And I'm probably going to say it again and again and again. It's nothing against people that are vegan. Okay? Nothing. Just make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. Do not do it for this false marketing and the false accusation that this docuseries, if you are watching this docuseries or other docuseries that you've seen about veganism and things like that do not let them steer you into veganism because of this because this is false this is false in order to choose a diet such as veganism which is considered an extreme diet if you are choosing that 
make sure you know all your consequences, responsibilities, your self-advocacy around it, everything. Make sure you know about that. Okay, that's what, that's, that's what I want to say. One of the biggest scare tactics um, that really kind of threw me off that I was like, is this real? Was at one point in the docuseries, there was like the food of health inspector or something, something of that nature. Um, and one of the terms, they were cooking ch- uh, uh, chicken. And the guy was like, oh, okay, so I'm going to put um, on the chicken um, this glow thing that pretty much made the chicken glow under black light. So all the residue from the chicken would then glow in the black light. And there was chicken residue on the cutting board. Yes, of course. It was on the knives. It was on the handle of the oven. You know, it was on the sink, right? Like stuff like that. Of course, it's chicken. Of course, there's going to be residue. The whole thing is that you're not cross-contaminating. And again, I I feel personally, personally, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like this is just common sense. You cannot cross-contaminate. You have to clean off. If you're using a cutting board with raw meat, you have to completely clean it off and then cut your veggies or your herbs or your whatever you want to do next, right? You have to clean it off or use a different cutting board. Same thing with a knife. If you are using a knife to to cut a raw chicken or a raw meat, really any meat, then you have to change knives if you're going to cut veggies or anything else with it. You have to do that. You're literally, it's called cross-contamination. You're going to get sick. And like this guy walks into their kitchen and he's like, oh, let me show you. Like, okay, were they told not to clean the kitchen? Were they told, like, what is happening right now? And that is the scare tactic that, one of the scare tactics that they used, and that's where, that's where I personally, I just lost my ish. I lost my ish. I want to say real quickly, too, like, they started talking about how, you know, the whole climate and the climate crisis happening in the world is from cows. That was another thing that made me stand up and, like, I was, like, holding my head, like, as if, like, like my home team scored against itself. That's what I looked like as I was watching this docuseries, and they were talking about how the cows, pretty much how the cows fart and burp were the reason why they, why the climate crisis is so bad. It's so bad. And it just, it brings me to this thought that, okay, well, should we all just stop farting and burping then? Because that's the thing. All mammals emit greenhouse gases. All mammals. You, the cow, the rabbit, mice, all mammals. We all emit greenhouse gases. So we are also part of the issue. No? So these are the things that I just, again... I'm, I'm just listing and, and talking to you about the things that I just, it was like red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag, you know, again, I was literally, like, it felt like I was just watching, watching the soccer game, and I was so worked up about it, you know, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is, this is not happening, okay, okay, 
before I go and talk about the three myths, the top three myths, I should shift, I should say, because I said a lot of a lot of myths, but I want to talk about the top three. Uh, before that, I actually want to share with you what I found at the end of the research and the people that made this docu series. And again, I think this is another thing on why, you know, it was one one red flag after the other. And as I was looking at the research within itself, which I'll talk about too, um, I realized there was a lot of interesting factors. Okay, so who made it? Who funded it? You know, um, what they actually looked for. Um, so many of the um, of the research that they found was actually there's so much more to it. You can't say that this is a end an end uh, result if you're only looking for this one thing that they did, right? So let's get into it, okay? Now, this part might get confusing, okay? So I want you to pay attention, okay? Okay, let's begin. The Stanford professor, his name is Christopher Gar- Gardner, okay? He himself has been a vegan for 40 years. Okay, which also happens to be the director of the Stanford Plant-Based Diet Initiative, also known as PBDI. That was launched in 2021 with a five-year grant by a meat replacement company. Take a guess, which company? Beyond Meat. If you were to go right now to your local grocery store and look up anything made by Beyond Meat, those little vegan uh, patties, the vegan uh, sausages, the all these the vegan cheeses, they are highly insanely processed. Okay, but these are the people that gave him a five-year grant. Okay, like I said, I knew something was seriously fishy when I saw that New Jersey governor talking about what he's doing with like his hospitals and within his state like I knew it was just weird Kyle Vogt is also when when I went into the credits of the docuseries Kyle Vogt was in this okay was a name that I saw so I looked him up who's Kyle Vogt Kyle Vogt is a member of the group of the Silicon Valley really Silicon Valley tycoons who invest in vegan-focused companies. Vogt spent more than a million dollars on the 2019 Game Changers movie that also was promoting a vegan lifestyle by documenting the accomplishments of vegan athletes. Okay, awesome, great, thanks. He's also the same person that funded this docuseries as well. Now here's where things get tricky and why knowing your research is critical. Gardner's study published in JAMA Network Open, which is linked in my show notes, did not disclose that PBDI, also known as Plant-Based Diet Initiative, okay, is underwritten by Beyond Meat, or that the Vote Foundation is a vehicle for the vegan advocacy. But... Gardner's paper, though regional research, does acknowledge that he received Beyond Meat funds, quote-unquote, outside the submitted work, as if that's not irre- as if that's not relevant, right? 
But clearly, this is a really big conflict of interest. Okay, so let's say we're not, maybe we're not understanding how this is a big conflict of interest. Let's just say that these are just people that they view the same, they have the same values and the same morals, and they're like, hey, you know what? Like, I think the whole world should be vegan, and I'm going to spend a boatload of money on this, okay? But that's fine. Now I want us to take the opposite. Let's reverse this issue, hypothetically speaking. Let's say that a professor at a noble university was a carnivore for 40 years, who also got a grant for five years by a big-time meat producer, and he does a study on the benefits of doing a carnivore diet versus, let's say, a vegan diet. The carnivore diet helps reduce heart disease, reduce insulin, etc., etc., and was founded by big-time philanthropists devoted solely to carnivore diets and pushing carnivore diets. The professor mentions his grant, but doesn't mention the $1 million donation by his big-time philanthropist. So now, do we see how this can sway the information that is given? Because in both of these scenarios, one that is hypothetical, one that is real, you both have this interesting, well, like I said before, this conflict of interest. In fact, this actually goes against publishing research. And before you go to publish, publish a research, you should literally ask, is there a conflict of interest? So then I wondered, if this is true, how did this happen? How did this research get published? And how was it done into a docu-series, right? So obviously, okay, this guy, this guy, this boat guy, okay, um, Kyle Boat, right? Okay, obviously this guy has money, and obviously if he's the one that's funding it, then yeah, he knows people, and it's kind of like the thing of like, I'll talk to my people, and you talk to your people type of thing, right? And then they made this docu-series. But I was like, why would a Stanford professor literally risk his notability, his professionalism, his, why would he just risk that for this docuseries? So I went on Google and I was like, okay, maybe Garner is on the board of like some crazy, you know, big time nutrition stuff maybe he's like maybe he's part of the fda maybe he's you know and my mind just went as crazy as possible you know i like to play you know i like to play that game where <laughs> let's play crazy idea time right and so i did and here's what i found garner is currently on the board of the usda you guys all know that's that's america's top nutrition agency right Garner is also on the nutrition committee for the American Heart Association. Both of these are linked in my um, in my show notes. Okay, so again, this is linked. This is like th- these are things that I just found in online space by asking the wildest of questions. Okay. Okay, the Vote Foundation is a significant pro- conflict of interest for Stanford nutrition research because obviously there is a 
profound commitment, aka money, to veganism, plus having actual no science proof and no research. Meaning, this foundation is giving money to to extend this veganism lifestyle, but this foundation is not the money is not because they they have a science proof or research that yes everybody should do veganism like this is this is the holy grail there's absolutely none of that this is just someone that is that is really truly the vote foundation is really truly looking for they're a foundation of money to make more money there's absolutely no interest here of health of human health absolutely at all it is about the money okay let's get into it let's get into the science real quick okay so hopefully let's let's just take a deep breath because that was like i feel like that was a lot you know i feel like that was a lot like we're watching these things on tv we're watching these these documentaries we're watching these and they're all the time swayed one way or another like we can't just like watch something and have a deep like unbiased we can't just right and again for many people and and this is me being me like for many people we do these things and we're like oh my gosh if these people lower their insulin levels and their bad cholesterol levels oh my god this is my freaking issue then this is what i'm gonna do like the veganism lifestyle is what i'm gonna do that's what I'm going to, this is just me, I'm going to, and then, and then we become that, right, we, we let that aspect of our diet really consume us, and we're not paying attention to what's actually going on, I see so many people try to do vegan or vegetarian, but they're not looking at what are the ingredients, seriously, beyond me is insanely processed, like, how many seed oils, how many colored dyes they have, how many things they do to process that one item, such as patties or sausages or things like that. Because I've also been there. I've also done this. I've also been like, oh yeah, like I think I'm going to go vegan because like that's, that's going to be my issue. And I think that's another thing too, is like, once you know better, you do better. And when I went through that through that phase, because y'all, because you you know that I went through keto, I did medical medium, I did vegetarian, I did, you know, and then and then I wanted to try vegan, and I was like, that's not it. Like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need to have my eggs. I need to have my cheese. I need to have those things. But then it also comes down to like like I even here here's the thing. Okay, I'm going a little bit on a rant because. This just, I guess, how passionate I am about this. But in the docu-series, they say how cheese is, like, addictive. And to be honest, I think everything that we eat is addictive. Because we need food in order to survive. Now, are there things such as sugars and candies and carbs and berries and things like that that maybe add a little bit more soulfulness to our plate 
that add a little bit more taste, that add a little bit more comfort. Yes, absolutely. But also, congrats, you're a human. If you feel excited to eat a food, if you feel hunger, you get, as, as we say in Romanian, when it, when it rings in your mouth, right? When you are salivating, when you smell something or you hear something, guys, there's eight types of hunger. There's eight types of hunger, and they include all the five senses, and including, like, I'm going to give you an example. So one of my, like, I guess, like, my cravings for fruit start because I hear a crunch of, like, an apple. And I hear that, and I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I absolutely want an apple. Even if I, like, just had a meal. Like, that's a kind of hunger, and that's actually supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen. You are human. So now, if all the times that we are not acting with our bodies, that we are like, oh, no, I'm not hungry, and instead we have a cup of water, what are we really doing here? So, again, the Fancy Series was honestly a little bit toxic here. Like, for our mental health, our overall health, it was a little bit toxic. And, again, to be honest, if I, if I had not been down that road before and now I am here, I don't think I would have seen it in that light. And I feel like I do see it in that light because I'm on, I'm on this part of, of my journey where I'm like, I've done that and that's exactly what I've been told and it led me to such a dark, deep place. So, take that for, for what you may, but all right, let's get into the science. So, um, okay, so as, as I said at the beginning of this episode, so the experiment was done on 22 identical twins, all 18 or older, that were in generally good health and randomized to uh, randomized in between them to either have a healthy vegan or a healthy omnivore diet, right? So one twin per diet, right? And then the meals were provided for the first four weeks, and then and the participants were then asked to buy their own for the um, for the like second half for the second four weeks. As I read the research, which is by the way also linked to my show notes, I thought to myself, how funny. That they looked at the twins that seemed to have made the vegan diet look better. And the thing, the, the result that struck this thought was the L- LDL. So if you look at the research, uh, the LDL was, it, it improved, right? So LDL is the bad cholesterol, right? But LDL cholesterol isn't enough, it's not nearly enough to say that reducing it can cause less less changes of chronic or chronic oh my god of cardiovascular illnesses or that it improves cardiovascular health there is such a ratio that is that is called the LDL VLDL and HDL so the LDL is the bad cholesterol the VLDL is the velocity of your bad cholesterol which is very important, and your HDL, which is your good cholesterol. So just looking at LDL is not nearly enough. In fact, if you have high LDL, you actually probably don't feel like you have 
high blood pressure because you also could be having high HDL, aka good cholesterol. What would make you feel even a little bit bad on a day you have high cholesterol or low cholesterol or high blood pressure or low blood pressure is that velocity of your bad cholesterol, your VLDL. That's where things get very interesting. So we literally cannot look at LDL and be like, oh, yep, this is it. The vegan diet is definitely going to help with this. We should all become vegan. It's not nearly enough. The LDL was named as the study's primary outcome measure, and it was 13.9 milligrams per deciliter lower on average among the vegan twins compared to omnivores. This result, though, is not surprising. Okay? So I'm going to tell you why in a second why it's not surprising, but I want you to keep in mind that LDL is not nearly, nearly enough. However, now that they are stating that this was the main outcome measure, I'm going to tell you why this is not surprising. Because all plant-based diets lower the bad LDL cholesterol. They lower that bad cholesterol. um, Largely because of plant stills. I literally linked in a whole article what is a plant sterile. Long story short, plant sterils replace some of the body's natural cholesterol in the cell walls. Which she kind of hints at that. There's a... There's... Another person that talks in this doctor's page, but she kind of hints at that. She does not talk about plant plant sterols. She mentions some other things going on, and that's just that was also not very clear. She made it a little bit like, yes, it's literally because when you have plants, when you have a salad versus a red meat, which we'll also talk about that too, your body literally just reacts differently. Based on what you eat, based on what you're intaking, your body has natural occurrences that happen. So if you're, if you are having, and I'm going to briefly talk about food sensitivity tests real quickly. Food sensitivity tests, this is why they are BS, is because they are testing for, for, uh, for the IG, IGEs that are just naturally occurring when you eat foods and certain foods like milks and carbs and citrus fruits they actually have them go up way more so they increase them way more than such as uh, as an example lettuce and fish and nuts as an example right so when we go to get these the food sensitivity food sensitivity tests and you're like oh my god like i'm sensitive to a hundred foods No, I can't eat, you know, I can't eat meat, and I can't eat milk, and I can't eat mangoes, and kiwis, and strawberries, and, you know, and it's, that's not, it's not, that's not correct. That's just not correct. It's not viable. Because those are the things that just naturally occur, meaning they're supposed to happen. Doesn't necessarily mean that you are food sensitive, right? Okay. So this is that same 
it's that same coin, if you will, except it's it's flipped on the other side. Those so the plant sterols are really going to help the bad cholesterol. Okay, um, check out that link if you want to understand about plant sterols and why. Sim by simply put, if you have just a little bit more fruits and veggies in your diet. This would also help your bad cholesterol. Okay, you can eat your meat, you can eat your cheeses, you can eat your eggs, but just add a little bit more. When I say a little bit more, I hate to say a number, but honestly, we should be aiming at around 10 to 12 fruits and veggies a day. Okay, so as an example, here's, here's, my, here's my fun take on this. So if in the morning you have two fruits, there's two, if for snack, you have uh, one veggie, or maybe you have two veggies with a hummus, great, that's great. There's two more, so you're at four, right? And so on and so forth. So I feel like, like I said, I don't like saying numbers, but 10 to 12 I feel like is ideal, and I think it's doable We where we don't feel like we're making such a big difference in the way that we're eating, yet it's going to make a difference and a quite a visible difference uh, difference in even our body composition, which this docu-series talks about, it's going to make a difference in your body composition, it's going to make a difference in your insulin, it's going to make a difference uh, in the way that you are actually, like your eating habit, right? It's going to be enough for you to see that difference and for you to feel better. Again, it's all about being being the elite in a basis, this all comes back to it. We don't have to do a vegan diet in order to have these results. But again, this docu-series seemed to have completely forgotten that we have self-advocacy and that we are, I mean, that we can self-advocate for ourselves, especially when we are eating. Okay. Um, Gardner also found that the twins randomized uh, to a vegan diet had better fasting insulin and lost 4.3 pounds more than their omnivore siblings at the end of the study. Okay. I feel like that was weird. Okay. Again, I feel like that was weird. And with one of the, um, one of the, uh, twins, um, they were talking about not eating enough and I totally get that. I totally get that. But again, again, crazy idea time. I'm like, I feel like that would be weird. Why is that? Well, what I found out is that the vegans recorded eating less sugar than, than the omnivores, as well as about 180 fewer calories per day. Now, here's where things get kind of funny, is that the, per the participants were not told to try to lose weight, but maybe the vegan twin ate less because maybe they had a lower diet satisfaction. And from what I'm understanding, from what I read, that there was a five-question survey um, that they actually, uh, they were asked about the diet satisfaction. And the ones that were on the vegan had a lower satisfaction. So, compared to the omnivore twin. So, again, we're talking about something very basic. Do you like what you eat? Do you like what you eat? Because here's the thing, like, there shouldn't be that that big of like the, the weight, the weight in the fasted insulin 
should not be this big. If you're eating diverse, you're eating enough, you're liking what you're eating, you're doing these basic things when it comes to eating. Those are the basic habits, right? And if you're doing them, that shouldn't be that big, okay? Keep in mind, this is the average. The 4.2 pounds is the average loss in between all the twins, okay? So I feel like that's a lot. Now, the major issue, though, here is with between the weight and the fasting insulin is that neither were listed as an endpoint in the original protocol for the trial. I'm going to repeat that again. The major issue that I personally have here with the weight and fasting insulin is that neither were listed as an endpoint in the original protocol for this trial. I have the original uh, clinical trial. I have the link in the show notes if you want to take a look at that. Submitted to the clinical trial registry at the NIH. So it was submitted in NIH. If a, re if a researcher changes the outcome measured after the study is ended or concluded, as Garner, I guess, did here, there's a good possibility that this choice reflects or cherry-picking, which really is the selection of measurements that look good for that preferred outcome. Or he just really, or he buried it in a really, really great way. I don't know. But like I said, I read this original clinical trial, and I don't see it there. So that doesn't look so good. The whole point of submitting a protocol in advance is to prevent the changes in the data. The entire point. Uh, and again, these are things that I found, and I'm like, how did this happen? But if this, if this guy has, he's on the USDA, is that the um, American Heart Association, like, you know, like, he has that right. He can do that. He can access this and say, yep, I'm in. It's fine. Good to go. Gardner did report one, one interesting result that I, I don't think played to his favor, okay, which I'm happy. Again, there were some things that I was like, man, that's one after the other, one after the other. But then there's things that I'm like, what is happening? Like, what is, just what is happening, right? So I'm glad that he, very shortly, <laughs> very short-lived, I should say, um, he talked about this, that um, that the, the vegans consumed about 64% less vitamin B12 over the course of the study versus the omnivores who increased their B12 intake. So... I don't think this was, um, I, I don't think it was like a significant difference. Uh, but again, the, the, this result is not surprising. It's really not. B12, which is essential for metabolic and neurological health, comes exclusively from animal food. In fact, beyond B12, a vegan diet without supplementation is either entirely absent or dangerously low in many essential micronutrients, including long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, which is EPA and DHA, vitamin A, other minerals, retinols, various other B vitamins, vitamin K, vitamin K2, calcium, vitamin D, iron, zinc, 
iodine, selenium, both are really ideal for thyroid health, and choline. A vegan diet requires quite a lot of lifelong supplementation. And this is where I think this is where I think a lot of this this push for veganism, this is where I think it does more harm than good. Because if we continue to do this, okay, as units of the human species, okay, when we're talking about a vegan diet, many people don't say, like, I have a cousin, okay, I have a cousin in Romania, I'm like 99.9% sure he listens to this podcast, but he's never said anything about it, um, he's a bodybuilder, and he's vegan, and he's been vegan for, I don't know, for quite some time, I don't know, 20, 30 years, okay, and, um, and he's a great bodybuilder, I'm not saying no, and he's a fine gentleman, you know, it's fine, but this is something that I see even with him, this is something that I saw within this documentary, this is something that I see all the time, is people that are vegan, make sure that you're also educating people on how how important it is to supplement. Because you are truly dangerously deficient in a really, really important vitamin. Okay? And I'm going to say this. I feel like when we are talking about veganism, and especially in America, like I said, my cousin is in Romania, and I feel like it's two different worlds of veganism there versus here. Um, but I also feel like the people that decide to do veganism are more highly educated. They tend to be a little bit more wealthy people, and therefore, you know, having a lifelong supplement regimen is not that bad. It's not it's not going to make or break the bank for them, and that's fine. The average person, I don't think, could find such a regimen that is expensive and it is challenging. I don't think they, I don't think they could find that sustainable for themselves. And that's where we see the beyond meat. We try these, you know, the, the vegan the vegan lifestyle and maybe you are someone that you are vegan and you're listening to this and you're like you're like no I make everything homemade and all this stuff like yeah that's great do you have a chronic illness are you wealthy and don't be ashamed to say that you are okay and are you highly educated do you have a master's degree a doctorate's degree and if the answer is yes to any of those that's why maybe you chose veganism is because you are part of this population and again I don't mean to sound so like rude or anything like that but that's what I personally see in in America at least is that the people that decide to be vegan are not the it's not like this the the majority it's the highly educated, wealthy people that tend to be vegan and they are also okay with supplementing, right? And when I say vegan, like vegan for years, like over 10 years, 
I'm not saying you vegan for two years, okay? Because you could you could be totally okay with being vegan for two years and not necessarily have to feel like you have to take supplements. You can. The body is resilient. I mean, and, and I'm actually going to talk about this too, about the eight weeks and why some things are just like, it's kind of silly to test because you're actually not going to have a difference because the body does need way more than eight weeks to show a difference in a few things that they tested it uh, uh, for. So having a very open discussion, right? And literally talking about a research that I did about a research, right? And the irony in this is that we have to talk about the human side of this. We can't just like, we can't be like, oh yeah, the cows are the issue. Yet we also emit greenhouse gases too. Like we can't do that and completely ignore like the bombs in Gaza and in Congo and in the Middle East and the the manufacturers that are emitting insane amount of pollutants. Like we can't just ignore that. Like we can't. We can't just sit here and be like, this is the spoon that's fed to me. I'm not going to look anywhere else. Like, we can't. Like, we have to understand, like, you can't possibly think that a cow is more dangerous to this planet than the manufacturers and the pollutants and the, the, the gas lake, the leaks, and the, the pre-planned fires. Like, you cannot possibly think this. I'm not saying I'm judging you. I'm just saying, like, what are we doing on this world? What are we doing with ourselves? What are we doing with our kids? What is happening? So this is this is where I get a little bit, I don't know, like maybe a little overly overly dramatic, overly emotional. I don't know. But this is where we need to take in consideration people's overall health. Not just the status, like, oh, this is another status symbol of like, oh, I'm vegan and so AKA I'm highly educated, wealthy, da 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 da. Your body in the way that you eat is not a freaking trend. It's not. There was another docu-series called The Blue Zone, right? And it was like pockets of people that lived longer. And majority of them ate a lot of weird stuff. And they ate a lot of animal products. And they ate, like, just weird stuff. Things that, in America, we're not seeing, you know? I grew up with some of that food that they mentioned in the Blue Zone. I grew up with that kind of stuff. And some things I was like, holy moly, I've never eaten those kinds of things. Some things I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's that's something different I could totally try. But again, <laughs> congrats, you're human. But be the AV in the basis if you want to feel better. If you want to actually help your chronic illness versus just running to that next thing. Another thing, okay, I'm going a little bit on on a tangent again, but another thing that just kind of popped into my head as, as I was talking about this just now is um, the lactose intolerance thing that they were mentioning how in, in Japan they didn't have any or they had very little animal products like like cheese and eggs and things like that until after World War II. Well, again, if we understand history, that's actually because of famine. That's why they ended up having, like, eggs and cheese and stuff like that in their diet. 
And there is so much of this bias information that people live longer and that people, you know, the ones that are, that eat more plants or whatever. Yes and no. Because even in this docu-series, they put an importance on movement. They put an importance on movement. They even hired a fitness and lifestyle coach. So with all that to say, it's still nutrition and diet, nutrition and diet, nutrition and diet, nutrition, diet, lifestyle, movement, elite in the basics, you're elite in the basics, you'll be okay. You don't have to, you know, worry or be scared of a food and the fa- and, and if food has a moral effect on you, if you are like, oh, this food is good and this food is bad, you need to check in with yourself ASAP. No food should have a moral value. None. None. It should come to the fact of what makes you feel better in all aspects. Feel better mentally, feel better if it's comfort food, feel better if it makes you have more energy, feel better if it makes you have better bowel movements, clearer skin, better hair growth, lower insulin, or just leveled off insulin, because too low of insulin is not good either. You get what I mean. Um, I don't know where I left off. I was talking about supplementation, and I got lost in in this whole thing. Um, <laughs> but anyways, one last thing that I want to say about the research itself, and then and then I'm gonna talk about the documentary is that um, I found it a little, like, hmm, uh, that these people were going from a regular diet to a vegan diet within a day. I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's okay to do. And again, we definitely need to look at that. Because again, going from an omnivore diet to a vegan diet is actually a big deal for the body. You can actually cause your body shock with that. So again, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if they even cherry-picked on who they were vegan, right? Because they did 22 pairs of twins, but they only talked about four, right? So I'm wondering if, if that's what happened. I don't know. But anyways, regardless, I do not recommend this. I do not re- recommend, like, today you're having meat and, to, and then starting tomorrow you have absolutely no meat products. I don't. Eight weeks um, is also not long enough to have wild results. Um, and I actually get into into this about um, when I talk about winter finger. So again, I question the hardcore uh, results itself. So again, there was a few results. Again, go check the show notes. Go check out the actual research itself because it's written. I feel like if it's written on black and white, I feel like we're able to, um, to see the differences a little bit better versus watching the docuseries because they will kind of fast through a few of the people's results um but yeah eight weeks is really a short time okay on to the three myths that they talk about in this docuseries so number one i already talked about it is the cows they're ruining the earth okay yep this is this is a load of crock like bs false it's a huge scare tactic look i can even i can give you so much talk about megacorps and how they have made legit research 
on how much money the corpse would pay for the carbon damage if they paid for their emissions. Trillions, okay? Trillions. Most companies wouldn't even exist anymore. That's why, again, I wanted to dig deeper about this docu series. Like, like, how did the Stanford professor straight up smack talk about cows? Why would a professor go to lengths to do this? Again, we follow the money. Always, right? The second thing is in this docu series, they stated that the um, fished salmon or the farmed salmon or dyed that, that salmon color that we know, that we see when we buy salmon at the supermarket or the grocery store. This is false. The quote-unquote dye that they're referring to is called astaxanthin. It's an organic molecule that naturally occurs in the diet of wild salmon. The molecule belongs to a class of compounds known as keratinoids. The keratinoids is actually... The same reason why you see like lobster and shrimp have that same similar color. That's it. They just it, it, they just naturally occur. In general, the diet of the marine predators is rich in this compound, but salmons and trouts are special because they accumulate deposits of this keratinoid in their muscles, hence the pigment of the muscles that we eat. So farm salmon are indeed fed this organic feeding with the combination of the fishes that actually contain this color, okay? So, if I were to tell you, like, hey, Jetta, like, which one is better for you? Like, farm salmon or wild salmon? Wild, 100%, nothing beats it, okay? Farm salmon, um, hopefully, based on, because this is where, where I say, like, I get salmon, okay? I get salmon, the smoked salmon, I do. I get salmon from my grocery store or from the market but i make sure that it's from like the nordic countries uh they typically have a little bit more standard like laws or not standard but a little bit more i guess like aggressive laws on um the way that they're farmed and that they're not having like this a lot of the um um they're not fed antioxidants because or antioxidants sorry antibacterials or anything like that, or they're not having infections, or they're not dealing with that kind of stuff, right, because they are found, they can be swimming in their own herd, right, they can be doing that, but hopefully you are getting the farmed salmon that isn't in that, and I do, I do have that, um, that thought process behind it is that the northern European countries do have a little bit more aggressive laws and how that's done and so they're not it's not as pollutant it's not as right like the fishes are not eating their own crap right like stuff like that like it really they're okay they're okay it's always better any animal any animal even us humans right it's always better when you're able to go to walk further than rather just your neighborhood right we do better and again, speaking of walking, again, going on a tangent, that's how my mind works. But walking is probably the best thing that we could ever do for our health. Like, seriously. Like, the best thing. It is so underrated. It just needs to be the best freaking... It needs to be the number one go-to movement of for anybody. Is walking, moving your feet, or moving your arms side by side. It's amazing for insulin. It's amazing for cardiac resistance. It's amazing for 
weight maintenance or weight loss. It's amazing for mental health. It's amazing for, um, for just so many things for you, just your better, just everything like that. But again, okay, coming back to this about fishes and farm fishes, if you're only swimming in like, I guess these, these, um, these farms are quite big, okay? But if you're used to, let's think, if you're used to going, um, a hundred miles a day, if you're used to walking a hundred miles a day, and now you are reduced to only 20, that's definitely going to affect you, right? And so I think of, of all the things that they were talking about in this docuseries, I would like to agree with that because yes, that's true. Like we don't want to be, we, we don't want to have that in our system as well, right? So yeah, I would prefer wild caught. However, farmed salmon is not as terrible as, as clearly as this docuseries has been saying and a lot of other um, media has been saying, right? Okay, the third uh, myth, um, and this is the last thing that we're going to talk about today, is TMAO, okay? Um... This was said in the docuseries and also talked about um, a little bit within the research as well. Um, so TMAO is trimethylamine oxide. Okay. Um, they were saying that there wasn't all that it wasn't all that significant uh, of a change, uh, but then later, but then later said that the TMAO was decreased from other studies from prior mm, okay but let me tell you what tmao is it's in simple terms an organic com compound found in the gut microbe that reacts when the body intakes red meat and some fish okay coming back to that to that subject that i was talking about when we do food sensitivity tests it's the same thing and again when i was talking about mentioning how eight weeks is kind of a short time well this is where this kind of goes hand in hand is that this is just a natural occurrence. So you're not going to see a significant change if, again, you ask someone that went from an omnivore diet to a vegan diet in eight weeks that that TMAO is going to change drastically. It's not. Because this person has been eating meats in general since they were born. So some for 80 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years, for 50 years, right? So your TMAO is not going to, like your body is not all of a sudden going to be like, oh, well today I didn't have any meat. So now I'm just never going to produce that ever again. No, heck no. I hope your body never reacts like that because then we got other problems, right? So the TMAO, they're like, oh, well, the TMAO is, uh, was actually decreased from other studies, and they even did in the docuseries, which I was like, oh my god, come on, man. Uh, the TMAO, like I said, is a, it's a, it's a organic compound, right? And it will increase when you eat red meat 
90% in specific fishes, and then it will decrease if you don't eat meat, right? And they showed, like, two graphs, and it was, like, one was, like, an up and then a plateau, and then another one was, like, completely down. And I don't know if that was TMAO, because if that person's TMAO went down that much, I don't know what's happening with them. Like, are they okay? Because it takes a lot more time for our body to actually, quote-unquote, level out TMAO. Okay, on this contrary side, uh, TMAO is something that has been highly researched and is indeed, it is indeed, truthfully and fully, it is connected to cardiovascular illnesses, okay? And for the longest time, it was said that red meat is bad because of the saturated fat that then cause cardiovascular illnesses. But again, saying this again, once you know better, you do better. This, the, the TMAO is, like I said, it's, it's, it's in the gut microbes. So your gut health is a strong precursor of your TMAO levels. A vegan diet isn't necessarily the answer for this then. You can lower your TMAO by getting serious and consistent about your gut health. Eating diverse, knowing how to manage your stress, doing these things that just Again, we're helping, we're helping the body say, okay, I don't need this much TMAO when I eat, when I intake red meat, because I'm also eating other types of meats, and I'm eating fruits, and I'm eating veggies, and I'm eating leafy greens, and I'm eating seeds, and I'm eating, you know, all these things, right? You're eating so much more food and so much more diverse food. That your body's like, okay, this is safe. This, is, this comes back to this thing that I always say, is that make your body feel safe. It's the same, it's called the negative feedback loop. It's the same thing. So if you help your gut microbe and you're having great bowel movements and you're eating diverse and you're doing intentional movement, your TMAO is going to lower. So... Again, a vegan diet is not necessarily the answer for that. So, and and in the docuseries, they're like, oh my gosh, your TMAO is de- is, has decreased. It's like, um, how much? By how much? And how? And why? What's going on here? Right? So, again, just consistently always asking yourself questions. Consistently always asking why, why, why. Please remember to check out all the show notes because, like I said, I have links in there for all the things uh, that we were talking about today. Um, This was a little bit of a longer episode, so I am truly, truly thankful for you listening to this entire episode. If you really loved it, go click that download button and save it. And then really maybe share it with some friends, maybe share it with a family member, maybe that is really pushing some extreme diets, whatever you got to do. But again, we're, we're just, we're, we're one person trying to help out another person, right? Um, all right, guys. Well, that is all for this episode. Um, thank you for listening and I will check you on the next episode.